Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 8, 5 to 13. Here's what it says. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you have believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Doesn't like my voice very much, does it? Uh, well, hey, maybe it's that. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Matt's on it. Uh, so we're in the last week of our series. The very, very last week. We've been at this for six weeks. Six weeks of discipleship. Six weeks of journey. Uh, and so we'll do a quick little recap. Because if you remember, swim lessons uh, was all about getting into the deeper waters of faith. All right? The deeper waters of faith. So we started our journey on the beach. Anybody remember that? All right, good, good. So we started on the beach, and we had three words. Come and see, right? Come and see. Come and see Jesus. And so then once, once we've come and seen him, uh, we have this encounter with him. Remember, we had an experience with Jesus. Uh, then the next step was to commit to follow Jesus, uh, which was sort of, I felt like uh, sort of a surprising step because most of us think of that as like the most faithful people that we know are the ones who are like dedicated, right? They're the ones who are following Jesus. But following Jesus really is like step three because following implies that sometimes you're going to get it wrong, right? You don't necessarily have all the answers, but you're going to follow the guy who does. <laughs> and so we commit to follow in Jesus' footsteps, not just to... Um, learn the right things or be in the right places at the right times, but to actually follow Jesus, to listen to his voice, to follow in his footsteps. And so as we're following, we go through a season where we're receiving. Remember we talked about having classes and getting the right head knowledge and the right heart, right? Getting in the right place. It's that, it's that sort of like cleaning up phase of our lives where we first learn what that convicted feeling feels like. <laughs> Because all of a sudden, we're doing the same things we've always done, but it doesn't feel quite right, right? It feels different. It feels different. And so we have the moment where we're receiving and learning, and we're in our small groups, and we're, we're growing forward. And then two weeks ago, we talked about go and see, right? We started with come and see, and when two weeks ago, we had go and see. And the idea that at some point in our discipleship journey, we're supposed to go and see that Jesus is still at work, <laughs> Right? That Jesus still works through us, through you, through me. We go and see. And then last week, right, we're kind of bringing it full circle. Last week, we said out of that, you were supposed to find opportunities to go and make. To go and make disciples. That as disciples, we are responsible for making disciples, for replicating. So you might think, well, that's the last stage. Right? But at the end of the day, 
there's actually six, right? Which is why this is a six-week series, not five, right? So you might be wondering this morning, what could possibly be left, right? We've learned it all, right? <laughs> you guys are like, I don't think so. So this week is interesting because in our ocean diagram, as we go deeper and deeper and deeper, if you think about the depths of the ocean, right? The oceans, the depths of the ocean. I was reading an article just a couple weeks ago about like what small of a percentage of the ocean we've actually explored <laughs> because there's just so much out there, right? There's just so much there. And so faith is often the same way. There's so much there that you can follow in Jesus' footsteps for a lifetime and still be getting something new. It's, and really, I think we're in trouble the moment we decide that there is nothing new for us. <laughs> right? The moment that we think that we have arrived. And at this stage in discipleship, that's the temptation. The temptation is to think that we've arrived. That because we, we've gone, right? We've gone and seen. And then out of that, we've learned, okay, this is what Jesus called me to do. So we're making disciples. And you become, you know, this stage is sort of like the leaders in the church stage. Right? It's those like saints that we all look up to in the church. And we think, well, surely they've got it figured out. But the thing is, at this stage, the temptation is to say, I've arrived and I'm done. Been there, done that, right? Done my part. I'm done. And we think by some stretch of our imagination that there's nothing left for us. That at this point, we'll go to church, we'll pray, but I got it figured out. Now, if you don't know... That's the temptation that leads to all of these news reports about pastors having all sorts of different malfeasance, right? Church leaders embezzling money. All of those things come from these, this place of surely I've got it figured out. There's, there's nothing more for me here. And so this week, as we wrap up this series and as we're talking about what the final step of discipleship looks like, it's going to feel a little bit like a rewind. <laughs> it's going to feel a little bit like a rewind. Because the pathway of discipleship, this journey, is an ongoing journey. It's not something where you arrive at a destination and you say, yep, I'm a disciple now. Did that. What's next? Right? It's, it's an ongoing journey. And I, I often compare it to a roundabout. Right? When you get to a roundabout, depending on where you're headed next, you're going to take a different exit. And the same is true with discipleship. Sometimes we find ourselves as a, at a season of life where we need to receive other times we find ourselves at a season of life where we need to be going and making disciples. But it's going to be different in each season that we're going through. And so it's never about where we're arriving at. It's about this journey, taking the next step, right? My two favorite words in the entire world, the next step, next step. What is our next step? Because if you are still alive you have a next step in your journey with Jesus. That journey doesn't end until your life is over. And the same is true for every church life, right? If there are, if there are people who are gathering and calling this place home, there is a next step for us. And so each of us has to figure out what our next step is. And so we're looking at the pathway, and I'm going to talk today about the last one. What is, the, what is that next step, right, of our, of our six steps we've been taking? What's the next one? And it comes from this great guy who's a centurion. Now, if you don't know the history behind this, uh, the Romans owned the area, 
And the Jews were not exactly thrilled about it, right? If you think of what's going on in the Middle East today, it's a pretty similar setup, right? Everybody's fighting over land. Everybody's fighting over who belongs where. And so the Romans are the group of the day who run the roost. So they did not exactly get along well with the Jews. But there's this centurion who comes to Jesus. And in fact, in the book of Luke, it says that the centurion, he had to have been so high ranking, he actually just sent somebody for him. Right? He's like, he's like I'm not going to go. You go tell Jesus. And so these Jewish elders come and tell Jesus, hey, his servant is sick. This guy's really nice. I mean, that, that's paraphrased. All right? It doesn't say that. But that's what they say. They say, this guy's a great guy. He's been super helpful to us. He's been awesome. And he has a servant who is sick. Now, a lot of, there's a lot of context in this to unpack. The first of which is if he is, uh, there's a Roman guy sending Jewish elders, which means he had to have been a nice guy, <laughs> right? Because if they didn't like him, they weren't going to go. And so he was, he was, he was well-known in the community, well-respected by even the Jews, which is a big deal. But additionally, he cared enough about his servant to go and seek Jesus out. He said, at some level, I know that Jesus can do this. Now, servants, I mean, you think about this. A servant is like the low class, right? If the guy's servant dies, do you know what he's going to do? He's just going to hire another one. He's just going to get another one. But there's something about this guy. He says, my servant lies at home paralyzed and suffering terribly. He says, Jesus, help me. <laughs> help my servant. So you see a lot about this guy's heart, even from the beginning. And so Jesus, being who Jesus is, he says, shall I come and heal him? Do you want me to come heal him? And of course, the answer is yes. <laughs> Except that it's not. He answers and he says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Man, what a high regard for Jesus. What a high respect for Jesus. He says, I don't deserve for you to come to my house. You don't need to come to my house. He says, instead, here's what he says. For I myself, <coughs> he says, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. So Jesus, Jesus here, he says, I will come to your house. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy of that, right? I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. Instead, just say it. Just say it. And he explains why he believes that Jesus can just say it, right? I think at some level, there is a, a, a belief in the power of the words of Jesus, right? Because so far, whatever Jesus said came true. So I think there is a belief there. But his belief comes from the fact that he is a leader, right? And so when we talk about this like toward the end of the pathway, and we're talking about the leader type people in our church, this centurion fits the bill. He is a leader. In fact, it says, he says he has people under his authority. He says, I tell them go and they go. I tell them come and they come. I tell my servant to do this and they do it. Right? He says, I have authority. But what is interesting is he also says, he starts and he says, I myself am a man under authority. Not in authority, under authority, and with soldiers under me. 
So you get this impression that he, he is a super humble guy because he says, I have people who will do whatever I tell them, but I am also a man who is under authority. Right? There is somebody over me that if they tell me to come, I will come. And if they tell me to go, I will go. In the temptation, when we're, when we're being discipled and we get to, the, to that like, top end of the pathway and we're, we're making disciples, we're living into our calling, right? we're doing ministry. Okay? Many of you know what this is like. You know what it's like to be in a place where you're serving and you're pouring out and you're pouring out and you're pouring out. And you're doing great things for the kingdom of God. The centurion says, I know what it means to be in authority, but I also know it means I have to be under authority. So the temptation, when you get into that place where you're serving and you're pouring out, and you're living into your call, and you're like, man, God is doing some cool stuff. The temptation that comes is to forget that we are still under authority. That there is not a single person, no matter how great we may think they are, no matter how much of a spiritual giant we think they may be, there is not a single person who does not still need to be discipled. Even when you get into the go and make phase where you're making disciples like Peter, like we talked about last week, there is still a need to be discipled. And there is this great temptation. It's a great temptation isn't even the right word. There is this nasty habit of when you get into ministry and you get into it, Jesus becomes more of your boss than your savior. We begin to work for Jesus instead of loving Jesus. And it's not just pastors or, or church leaders or bishops or whoever, you know, whatever, name your highest authority you can think of. It's not just them that struggle with this. Anybody who has spent time in the church and has served knows that this is a great temptation. Right? When you... You know, I can, I can speak, I'll speak for myself this morning because I don't like speaking for other people on this topic. But when you're writing a sermon every single week, right, and you're in scripture, it can be very tempting to go, well, I was in scripture this week. <laughs> I was in the scripture. I got it. Never mind that your, your own devotional time lacks. That your own time with Jesus lacks. And we think to ourselves, we justify it because it's way, well, I'm doing so many great things for God. We forget that we too are under authority. That we too need to be discipled. That there's never going to be a time in our lives that we don't need to be discipled. Where we are and what we need in our discipleship changes as we progress. But the need to be discipled never changes. And that's the greatest part of this whole discipleship experience is that it doesn't end. And it's, I can say it's great because I am the most task-oriented person you will ever meet. I love, I have a little, uh, little to-do list app on my phone and on my computer that sync up together. And I love the satisfaction that comes from when I hit the box and it goes, ding. I'm like, yeah. I am task-oriented as it gets, right? But the most fun part of discipleship is that it just keeps going, 
right? That there's always more to be explored about Jesus, about faith, about Scripture. There is always something more for me to get. But if I stop seeking it because I think that I've arrived, if I stop seeking it because I think I've got it figured out, I'm really in trouble. Because Jesus never once, never once asked any of us to arrive. Instead, every time he called a disciple, he said, come and follow me. Come and follow me. And so discipleship, you know, we're in this, we're in this last week in, in this centurion, he's, he's teaching us, right? But this discipleship piece, it keeps going. And really, that's, that's the whole point today, is that you're not going to arrive. You're not headed to a destination when you're being discipled. You're on a journey. It's, you're, you're doing life together. It's why Jesus spent so much time just hanging out in people's houses. Because you're on this journey together, and it keeps going, and you build relationship with each other, with God. But if we ever get to a place where we think, oh, I don't need that, we're not, we're not in the discipleship journey anymore. <laughs> And so my encouragement to you this morning, my encouragement is to never think that you've arrived. To have enough humility like this guy, he says, look, I'm, you're, don't even come to my house. My goodness, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house, right? He has so much humility here, despite the fact that he has literally people who will answer to him, but he recognizes where the authority is at. And so the authority for each of us is in Jesus himself, and if Jesus himself is telling us to come and follow, to come and be discipled, who are we to think that we're done? <laughs> and so I end this series on this note because we're at the end of our series. And it can be really tempting sometimes when you end it, you're like, got it. I got everything I need to know about discipleship now. We did six weeks. That's plenty. What's next? And I don't want that to happen. <laughs> Because it doesn't matter what we preach next, it doesn't matter what series we do next or what, what our vision is for next year, because at the end of the day, all of it, everything that we do together, everything we do as a church, comes back to quality discipleship, to disciple making. Everything comes back to that. So, some of you have been in the church for a long time. You've served in every capacity. You've done all sorts of things, right? And there's the two temptations, the one we talked about already, to think you've arrived, right? You got it. We're good. But the other temptation is to retire, to retire from being discipled. Don't do it. It's a trap, right? You can't retire from being discipled. All of us ought to be discipled. Here's, here's my, my, my barometer. Here's how you know. Okay, this is what I shared on Wednesday night in class. Okay, here's how you know whether you're being discipled. Can you name the person who's discipling you? Because discipleship as a whole, it's not done by like 85 people. Okay, discipleship is done by one or two people in our lives who are intentionally pouring into us. Okay, so can you name the person who is discipling you? who is helping you get closer to Jesus, can you name that person? If you can, good. <laughs> You're on the right track. If not, let us help you. 
right? We have some great disciplers here who would love to help you stay discipled. And in case you're wondering, I have, I have two people who disciple me frequently. Two, okay? One being my pastor, who is still my pastor, right? I've been pastoring for almost 11 years now, but I still call him my pastor, right? You got to have somebody. <laughs> you got to have somebody who's discipling you, okay? So, no matter how long you've been here, no matter what stage you're at in this journey, all right, I, and I, A, I hope that you've really been able to connect to at least one of these weeks to figure out, here's where I think I'm at. Uh, but this week, the goal, your goal this week is simply to figure out, am I being discipled? And if not, let's get you started, okay? So if you're asking that question and you're like, man, I don't know if I'm being discipled or not, all right? What I want to do is uh, I want to pray with you this morning. Okay, I want to pray with you for your next step. If that's where you're at, you're like, hey, I want to take my next step. Okay, I want to pray with people. That's what I want to do. Okay, so whatever it is that you need this morning, whether it's to take a next step, whether it's to figure out who's discipling you, I want to pray with you. Okay, because I want you to take your next step, to continue on in your journey, to get past the point of I want to arrive here and simply to enjoy being where you are. So let me pray. God, we are so grateful that you do not give up on us, that you see us through this journey continually over and over again, God. You're always there for us. And so, Lord, I pray especially this morning as we are wrapping up our discussion of discipleship, God, I pray that you would reveal to each one where they are in this journey, what their need is so that they can take their next step. And I pray that you would raise up people around them in this time, who will disciple them well. And I pray that you would raise up disciplers for those disciplers and disciplers for those disciplers, God. Let us all contribute to the discipleship that is going on in this place. So help us to find where we fit, where we need to plug in. Help us, God, to take our next step. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.